Uh, we're in the fourth uh, sermon in our series in James. We started James four weeks ago. We're working our way through the first book. Today we'll finish that. Um, and it's been a lot of fun, at least for me, to study this, to dive in, um, to wrestle with the idea of, of, of what sanctification looks like. I know it's kind of a big word, but it just means after you become a Christian, what does it look like moving forward? Uh, the decisions that you make, how you live your life out, how does it work out in your life? How should we, you and I, be changed because of the good news of Jesus Christ? And really, that's what James is writing about. He was writing to the church, not just a particular church. We know that Paul wrote to a lot of churches, right? He wrote to the church in Corinth. He wrote 1st and 2nd Corinthians, right? He wrote Galatians to the church in Galatia. James wrote the, this book to the church dispersed. We see that in the first few verses. So this is godly wisdom and living for all believers. And so how does that affect you and I today? And, and that's what we're kind of working through. Uh, we, we, as a pastoral and leadership team, came up with the idea of faith that works. You see it in the bottom corner of the slide there. And that's really what James is talking about. In, or that, yeah, what he's talking about in this book, the book of James, he's talking about our faith and what does that look like being worked out in your and my daily life. James is going to, throughout the book, poke and prod us. He wants us to think. He wants us to wrestle with things. He wants to cause some strife where strife needs to be caused so that you ask yourself the tough questions. He knows, like you and I know, that we really are a work in progress. None of us placed our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and immediately were perfect people, right? Now, Sometimes I might carry myself, especially around the house, with a sinful, arrogant attitude of that I'm perfect. So this is just confession for you. I'm not perfect, even though I may try to act like I am once in a while. Well, James is, is going to point that out, and he's going to prove that throughout this book. We are all in progress. We are, we have, we've found Jesus Christ. We've, we've, we've been saved We are eternally his, and yet there is still a lot of work ahead of us. And that's what we've been looking at. So um, this story, uh, or where we're going today, reminded uh, Pastor Brian's one preaching down there, and we were talking about different people that we have counseled over the years, that we have sat in the same room with, and that we've talked to, that have a tough time with what God's word says. They like the idea of church. They like the idea of religion. Um, they, they maybe even like some of the tenets, but they don't want all of them. Or they don't believe that some things are true. Or this isn't applicable anymore. And, and so we've had multiple people over the years of our, of our pastoring uh, where we've counseled people, we've talked with people, and we've encouraged them uh, to express what they think. They ask us what we think. But most importantly, where we try to steer that conversation is what does God's word say about X, Y, or Z? Because that's really all that matters. It doesn't matter what you think, and it doesn't matter really even what I think. It's what does God think? What does God's word say about this? And and so some of these, as we were recalling these conversations, uh, the two of us, as we sat around the, the 
the table. Obviously, we weren't using anybody's names, but we were using topics. And, and a lot of times what we, the, the similarities we saw in the story was they got to a point where they didn't even want to know what God's word said. They enjoyed church. They enjoyed the fellowship. Maybe even, like I said, uh, enjoyed a lot of things in the Bible, but just not everything. And so when it came time to talk about a specific area that was affecting their lives and ultimately affecting their families, their churches, uh, people around them, and really God's reputation, they just didn't want to know about it. If I don't know about it, if I don't talk about it, if I don't think about it, then I'm not responsible for that. So it's like the idea, they didn't even want to take in the truth that we see in Scripture. They didn't want that to be a part of their lives, because then that way they felt like they didn't need to do anything about it. So they would basically say no to our big idea today, which is take it in, the truth, that is, take truth in, take it in, and then live truth out. And that's what James is going to encourage us to do today. And and these people over the years have been people who have said, I don't need to know this, I don't want to know this, or I don't believe it, so thus I don't need to change my life. I don't need to do anything different because I'm just going to ignore the fact that it's in the Bible. They want to pick and choose out of the Bible what they follow. It causes them to flinch. That's what we kind of boiled it down to. What causes you this morning to flinch in regards to God's word, in regards to what God has called you to do, what's in scripture clearly, and yet you're not comfortable with? What is causing you to pause your process of moving forward, whether it directly affects your life or just the way other people in the world are living or acting and you want to somehow justify it. Where is the breakdown taking something in from God's word and and it's going into your head, it's going into your heart, it's knowledge that you have. Where is the breakdown between accepting that and bringing it in and then living it out? The hands and feet, the practical decisions that you make or things that you want to stand for. James He wrote this book for Christian growth and maturity. So the assumption of James is that this book is being read by those who have already placed their faith in God. When we come to church on Sunday morning, a lot of you have already placed your faith in God. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, you've surrendered your life, and now you're moving forward in sanctification, you're growing, maturity, right? There are a few of you probably sitting out there who have not made that decision yet, and that is okay. It's okay for you to be here, we want you here, asking questions, processing this yourself, but this sermon and the sermons that we're going to be looking at in James is kind of like, if you get to the place where you're going to make this decision, this is what God is calling you to. And so for you, you may be going, okay, well, I haven't made that decision yet, but it's good for me to know what's ahead. For some of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter the age that you've done that. You may be still immature in your faith. There's nothing wrong with being immature in your faith as long as you're moving forward and you're growing and you're learning and you're progressing. That's what God has called us to. So some of us have placed our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior later on in life. And we're still learning what does it mean to do this? What does it 
look like when I move forward? Some of us place our faith in Jesus Christ as kids. And I'm going to tell you this. We're no for- further along than you are. We're still trying to figure that out too, right? Every day we're in progress. We're moving forward. And James knows that. And so he's talking about practical wisdom. He's talking about Christian ethics. And so a lot of times what we see in James comes across as works that need to be done or that should be done after you become a Christian. Nobody will argue with that. But what we want to be crystal clear on, we've talked about the first three weeks and we're going to touch on it one more time today, is we need to understand the difference between salvation and sanctification salvation and sanctification. So this week we thought we'd bring it in this way. James says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James says that works is the result or should be of salvation or faith, trusting in God. Faith is still faith, But without works, it's dead, is what James is saying here, right? What's good is dead. Your faith is good, but it's not going anywhere. You're not moving anywhere. Now, at the risk of sounding crass, this is what popped into my mind. I don't even think Brian used this example down there, but this is where I went. If you have a pet and it dies, now we acknowledge that that is a sad day, but the pet no longer does you any good because... It's dead, right? The pet has passed away. It's dead. Bury it. Enjoy some great memories. I hope you have photos. Those are great things. But it's gone. The dead pet is worthless to you. It doesn't mean that it's not your pet. It was your pet, but it just has no value to it. And here James is saying faith without works is dead. That's what James is talking about throughout James the book. Now, Paul says this about salvation in Philippians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, which is what James is writing about, so that no one may boast. Now, do James and Paul contradict each other? Well, in light of the definition that I have already given, we would say no. James is talking about sanctification after you've placed your faith in God and what it looks like to live as a Christian. Paul is talking about becoming a Christian. And what Paul is crystal clear on here is that it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one may boast. Crystal clear. Not the only place. We could go through dozens and dozens of of verses that talk about it being a free gift from God. And I think that's why sometimes James, people tiptoe around that book because it's an apparent contradiction, even though it's not. Paul here is countering an overemphasis on works or the law. Paul was talking to Jews who said, but hey, I'm circumcised. I follow the law. I've never broken it. And he's counteracting that and saying, it doesn't matter what works you have done. Salvation is a gift from God. And praise God that it is. He's countering, Paul is, legalism. The idea that you want to come to church and be a Christian, you need to do all of these things. Paul's saying, no, that's not it. 
James, on the other hand, right, he's countering an underemphasis on works. There were Christians back then that were saying, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ, the way, right? I'm going to follow this, but then their lives weren't being changed at all. We, uh, we've, we've seen it referred to as quietism. Being saved is enough. How you live or living it out doesn't matter. Okay? That's what James is, is going after here in his book. He's writing to believers. We've seen that over the last couple of weeks. Beloved brothers, which means brothers and sisters. Beloved brothers. In other words, you are in the same family that I am. You are a Christian. This is the way you need to be living. That's what, that's what James is doing here. So Paul and James seem to agree that works are actions taken in obedience to God. So when I challenge you to good works, I'm saying because you have expressed faith, you are a child of God, you need to be living in a certain way. Now, it doesn't mean we always hit that mark. We fail, we fall, we trip. We even consciously sometimes walk away from that. But that does not affect our salvation. That affects our sanctification. I hope I've cleared some things up with that. Paul really is speaking to a declaration of righteousness before God. That's salvation. Right? That's what Paul is saying. James is speaking to the demonstration of righteousness. That's a sanctified life. That's moving forward and becoming more like Jesus. When I encourage you to look a little bit more like Jesus each day, that's my goal. And I, I pray that that's your goal. It's because that's what God wants for us. Is to not look more and more like Mark Miller, right? Or Jeff, you know, or Leslie. No, we want to look like Jesus Christ. We want to move forward and become more like our Savior, And the gospel as a whole is both salvation and sanctification. Faith in Jesus Christ alone, that's the redemption work. That's the cross and the empty tomb, period. That's how you become saved. That's how you write your relationship with God, the creator, who we stand in a rebellion against before that. Sanctification, process of growth and maturity over a lifetime, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. If we can remember that through these next few weeks as we look at the rest of the book, we're going to be all right, okay? Now, salvation is a moment in time. As I close out this part here, it's that moment in time. It happens, and it's secure. We believe in eternal security of salvation. Once you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you can't lose it. It's not based on the works that you do. We've already said that. So how can you lose something that was given to you, right? You're saved in an instance because of the cross, what Jesus Christ accomplished, right? Now, I think to myself... Uh, when I'm talking about sanctification, it's becoming looking more like Jesus Christ because that's what he's called us to do. I think of the thief on the cross who placed his faith in Jesus Christ. He was dead within a few hours, and Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. That man had no opportunity to work on his process, his sanctification, to look more like Jesus Christ, and yet the salvation was secured. He was in heaven that day when he died. 
And that's what the scriptures say. Again, it's not what I'm saying. It's what the scriptures say. So now that we understand James is speaking about maturity and growth, sanctification of the believers, let's look today at verses 19 through 27. I'm going to read them all quick, and then we'll go through and see a couple of highlights of what God is trying to teach us here. Know this, my beloved brothers, again, speaking to believers, brothers and sisters, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what, forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James has some thoughts here for you and I today. 19 and 20, verses 19 and 20, he says that the encouragement here is to produce the righteousness of God in our lives. We were talking about that when we were talking about salvation and sanctification. We want to look a bit more like Jesus Christ, who is perfect and holy and righteous. And as we become more like him, we are producing by his grace, righteousness in our lives. It's the way that God wants us to live. We, you and I, are learning, we're developing a posture of how we're going we're gonna to move forward in life. And what does James say here? He says, be a person that is quick to listen. Take it in. Learn. Gain wisdom. That's what we were talking about with the big idea of this passage. This idea of taking in truth so that we can live out truth. And James says, be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Okay? What you say comes from what you already know or believe. It's who you are. But you and I need to be learners, hearers, so that what we're absorbing out of God's word, we can then live out in our lives. When we listen well to God's word, I'm not saying listen well necessarily to Mark or to Pastor Dave or your favorite you know, teacher on a podcast or whatever it might be, but to God's word, what is God saying through these women and men that I'm listening to, right? We need to open ourselves up for wisdom. Not what I think, not what you think, but what God thinks. It's not only true for our relationship with God, but it also works in our relationships with each other. You and I need to listen. Less talk, more listening. 
Now, a contradiction to this idea this week was uh, Brian and I were verbally processing this passage, and it was awesome to hear each other, um, you know, and to talk it through, to gain control of it, to understand it better. And, and we thought, man alive, this is a, different than what I'm going to be encouraging people to do. This idea of, ver- you know, verbally processing thing. And it is good. And I believe in it. We did it this week. But when we really got to the end of that conversation, we realized, but it also gave us an opportunity to listen to each other. And when I would say something and Brian had listened to it, then he could respond and maybe push back or, or challenge it or, or twist it or look at it from a different way, gave me the opportunity not to defend what I said, but to listen. And this process of verbal processing was actually listening too. So I think it's like... Outside of the idea of, of engaging in a healthy conversation where it's going both ways, outside of that, the only time that I really learn or gain wisdom in my life is when I quit talking. Okay? I love to read, but that's, I'm reading somebody else's words, right? I love to read the scriptures. I love to listen to them. I like to listen to other pastors preach. Wisdom is being gained by sitting there and being silent. And I think that's how it is most often in our lives. We need to listen. We need to be quick to hear and slow to speak. But look what James says next. Anger, right? Anger hinders growth and maturity. Now, if you say to yourself, should I not get angry? Well, Jesus experienced anger. We have those stories in the Bible, right? We have those stories in the Bible, of Jesus getting angry. The temple court is the one that popped into my mind. He reclaimed the temple as a a place of worship, right? If that was anger, it was justified and it was slow. And and what is James saying here, right? We need to be, uh, the anger of God doesn't produce the righteousness of God, or the anger, I should say, um, doesn't produce righteousness of God because typically we are not slow or justified in our anger, Our anger is often not justified. You've hurt my feelings, I'm going to become angry. Somebody cut in front of me on the freeway, I'm going to get ticked off, right? Our anger is often not slow, right? It's not something we've thought about or processed or been frustrated with and decided to correct an injustice. A lot of times we're quick, right? You cut in front of me, now I'm ticked, so now I'm going to cut in front of you. And I might even pump my brakes once or twice, right? I mean, what does that accomplish, Right? Anger is not a good thing. Quick, impulsive, reactionary, harsh, harmful. Fill in any word like that. That's what anger gets us. Okay? Now, again, we, we talked about Jesus at the temple. There are times that you can be angry and be justified in that anger. Okay? But this is not what James is talking about that. A lot of people live in a place of anger or resentment. This is one of those times where I don't ask for your hands. Okay, a lot of you, my friends, are living in a place of hurt and anger and resentment. And yet God wants you to be able to move through that because true wisdom is gained not in that place. Thinking through the idea of anger and hurt and extending forgiveness. That was all we thought about all week long as we were processing this package, uh, you know, this passage, this package of passages, uh, these verses, because it is so tough. 
How many times I've sat in my office with, with, with people who I love and I've tried to help them work through the pain and the, and the hurt that is in their lives. And we want so badly for our anger to be justified. I should be able to be mad at this person because this is what they did to me. And yet that's not what God calls us to. That's not what God calls us to. We're not called to be a rug either that gets walked on, but there is a difference. We are in control of how we feel. There were lists of people in Brian and my lives that we were talking about that have hurt us, that have caused us pain, and that yet by the grace of God, I would be ticked off at angry, holding this against them. And even every once in a while, that'll be a temptation I still might have, even though I've released it and tried to move through it. And and it's hard because apart from God's word, we don't know what to do with that anger. All we know to do is hold on to it and have it affect everything we do and say. And yet God has called us to live in a different way. Because a lot of times our anger isn't godly or justified. It's sinful and worldly. We need to emphasize this Christ-like growth and maturity in our own lives and in the lives of people that we engage with all the time, just like James is here. And that requires us listening and learning and moving forward in wisdom, godly wisdom, Not of ourselves, but of God, right? Not speaking so much. And it doesn't include anger. It doesn't include anger. And that's what James is talking about here. In verse 21, James encourages us to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The idea of putting away is is the idea of taking off, like you're taking off your clothing and you're putting on something new. Here we are to put away filthiness, wickedness, and we're supposed to put on meekness. We're supposed to put on God's word, right? We want to strip away the worldly influences, the filth in our lives. That sometimes we pack on ourselves because it feels good. So I can be angry and I'm justified and I can, I can, I can be upset. And what God is saying, take that stuff off through James. He's saying, take that off and put on godly things instead. Put on the godly influences of the implanted word. Now, what does implanted mean here? It doesn't mean that when you became a Christian, that there was a computer download to your brain of all of scripture, right? God's word, the wisdom of God. We have it. We have the Bible. But implanted actually means this idea of continuously uh, planting and moving forward, ongoing work, taking in the resources, the, the nutrients to grow. That's what James is saying here. This is implanted when we do the work to move it into our brain and apply it to our lives. So we learned about this learning posture, what we need to do, getting God's word, this implantation. Let's see what James has next for us. The word he used here, being doers of the word and not hearers only. This is a process of becoming something. 
Literally what this word translated means is to become. It's not a one-time action. It's a person in progress. And when we looked at the words here that, that James uses, he's not using verbs, but he's using nouns, right? We're not listening, but we're doing. We're not hearing only, but we're a doer of the word. There are identities placed, put forward in this passage, one being a hearer and one being a doer. And which one are we, right? When we, uh, Gwen and I, when we would tell our kids to go clean up their room, they heard the words that we said, but they didn't always do the work that was intended by what we asked them to do. I'm sure most of you can understand that, right? You ask somebody to do something, they hear, I heard you, but you didn't do anything, right? You didn't take care of what I asked you to take care of. How many times has that happened? We can be hearers without being doers, and, and yet God has called us to be doers of God's word. How do I know what to do? How do I know what to do? Well, James answers that. Look at what he says there. You're going to look into a mirror, right? God's word, and you're going to see reflected back at you what you need to do. And I'm going to tell you this, if you want to grow in your relationship with God, the half hour, 40 minutes that I preach on Sunday morning is not enough. God has given us his word. You need to be reading the Bible. You need to be engaging with your friends and your family, people in your lives about God's word. You need to be reading books. You need to be studying together with other people. Community groups is a great place to do that. Book studies are a great place to do that. God wants you to engage in that so that when you walk away from the mirror, right, God's word, God's law, God's plan for our lives, we don't forget what we've seen. The example here, he's talking about a man getting himself ready, and as soon as he turns and walks away from the mirror, he forgets what he's already seen. He forgets what was in the mirror. And James is saying, the law is the mirror, the scriptures, right? Again, talking about sanctification, we're not talking about salvation, but the law The Old Testament, what he's referring to, now we have the New Testament, Jesus, his life, his words, is going to show us what we need to do in our lives, what we need to apply to our lives, how we need to grow. God has given us his word as a mirror. We need to look at it, take it in, and then live it out. It's going to reveal the adjustments that you and I need to make in our own lives. What do I need to do? How can I live better? Well, I'll read God's word and it's going to show me. Now, when a specific thing comes up, you have a question on something, that's when you go to a particular book about that or a passage about that. Or you engage with God's word in all the verses that have to do with, right? But if you don't, if there's nothing pressing right now, jump into one of the books and start reading it. And God will show you what you need to do in your own lives to look a little bit more like Jesus each day. He reveals things through his word that you're not going to get anywhere else. 
When you come to church and, and Holy Spirit, you know, who's living inside of each one of you as believers, takes a nugget from what Pastor Dave or myself says, or even when the worship team is singing, if they're leading, maybe they have a word for you, and the Holy Spirit grabs that and starts working on that, that's God trying to do work in your life, right? That's not Mark, that's not Dave, that's not the worship leader, right? It, it's, it's an idea or a nugget, a biblical truth, something from God that he's trying to show you so that you can change and look a little bit more like him. He reveals those things through his word. And we have two options. When we hear those things, we can either be a hearer and just let it go, or we can be a doer. And James is calling us to be a doer. When we hear from God, we need to allow it to affect our lives and change our lives. Easy to settle into faith that doesn't grow and mature. Place your faith in God. Go to a church that has some great music and and a pastor that makes you feel good. And not really worry about any growth or maturity. And yet God, through James, is calling us to something so much bigger. The last couple of verses here, real quick as we close. Uh, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, religion or religious, the idea here is if a man thinks he's religious, this is the practice or behavior of your faith. It's not just Christianity, it could be any religion, but it's that idea of taking what you are supposed to learn and do and then applying it. And that's what James is talking here. If somebody thinks he's a believer, he thinks he's living it out, right, but doesn't bridle his tongue, he's deceiving his heart. James is giving more teaching here, right? If you claim to be Christ-like or religious or trying to live a life that you look a little bit more like Jesus each day, but you have a wild tongue, you're not living out Christ-like character. Doesn't mean you're not saved, just that you're not mature, you're not growing, you're not becoming more like Jesus. Religion that is pure takes truth in. Remember the big idea? Takes truth in, allows you to be transformed by it, and then lives it out. That is religion that is pure. Now, James's list of pure religion here isn't meant to be exhaustive. Certainly includes caring for those who can't care for themselves, right? This is what he's bringing up. He brings this up as an example. Instead of being a big mouth talking all the time, maybe, you know, letting your temper get the best of you, how about taking care of the most desperate people, And in society back then, and you can probably take these couple of examples and apply them to today, historical context, the women, orphans, they couldn't provide for themselves. And James is saying, those are the people you need to take care of. You want to be like Jesus Christ? Take care of those people in society. Those are the people that were desperate. They were in a desperate situation with no means of providing for themselves or being saved. You and I cannot provide for ourselves. We are in our own desperate situation with no means of being saved. We can't save ourselves, and yet God can, and he cares for us. And he's given us his word so that we can see his heart for us. 
James closes this by saying, keep oneself unstained by the world. What does he mean by that? He, he's revisiting these, this idea of the opposing influences that he already mentioned earlier. Worldly or godly. You and I, whether you're a Christian or not, when you walk out this door, you have the world telling you what to do and you have God telling you what to do. Right? And as Christians, my prayer for you is that you'll see God's word, the wisdom that's found in that, and that you'll move towards that being the answer in everything you do and say in life. The other is the worldly advice. And, and that's where a lot of times we as Christians are still tempted to look towards the world's advice on a situation or an opportunity or whatever it might be. We want to understand what the world says we can do and then we do it instead of looking to God and his word. The only truth that we can find is in God. And when we apply that to our lives, we will live it out and look more like Jesus than we did the day before. Easy to accept salvation and neglect sanctification. We need to get better at applying scriptures to our lives, looking more like Jesus. And it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes learning. It means getting your Bible out during the week and reading it. It means asking questions. It means engaging with someone else, maybe reading a book or, or scripture together. To grow, to gain wisdom, and then to apply it to your lives is a lot of work. And yet that's what we've been called to do. And maybe you're a Christian who, who has been doing that for years my challenge to you today is what areas in God's word is causing you to flinch or to pause in that process? You're okay with almost everything, but when God talks about this or that, I just can't get on board. My challenge for you today is to seek the Lord in those areas, to allow yourselves to, to learn what did God say and why did he say it and why is he calling it calling me to live in that way and allow God to work on your heart and use that godly influence instead of the worldly influence so that we can take it in into our head and into our hearts be transformed by it and then to live it out so that when people see you they see Jesus transformation in your life happens as you live it out. You don't have to have it all figured out to live it out. But you have to be a person who believes that God's way is better than the world's way. So maybe today you've you've been uh, listening and you're like, man, I need to read more. I need to just study more. I need to discuss more. Because that's what's going to allow you to be shaped and then ultimately take action and live that out. And allow Holy Spirit to be your guide and your teacher. Changing the way you're living is not easy. We know it costs. And a lot of times it's just easier to not do it. That's the temptation. And yet God has called us to sanctification, to growth and maturity. And that comes not only in your own life by yourself, but also in community. 
Seek an accountability partner. Find somebody that you can talk to, that you can ask the hard questions, that you can be challenged by, and invite them to speak truth into your life. Sometimes I need to hear a hard word, and I'm not very accepting of it, right? And yet that's what I need. And you need to find people that you can invite into your life that will do that for you. To help you hold up the mirror, right? To accurately see what's in the mirror of God's word when sometimes it's a little distorted. To encourage you and to support you. And I think that's what, that's what James is challenging you and I today to, is to take in the truth and to live it out.